Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. Um, not going to lie, I'm pretty exhausted. I think just the emotional toll of trying to contemplate what a 41-14 to win over Iowa <laughs> means for my soul uh, really, uh, really is taking a lot out of me. But I'm doing good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> anytime Penn State comes one yard shy of 600 yards of total offense, can't be upset. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the recap uh, for yesterday's game that uh, our buddy Patrick Vint did for Go Iowa Awesome. Uh, he said that last night's game was a palindrome, forty-one fourteen, which that was uh, that should kind of give you a look into what Ohio, not Ohio State, uh, they were probably pretty sad uh, when they lost to Penn State. But I meant Iowa fans. What Iowa fans thought of the game? Uh, of course, yeah, Penn State uh, just beat the hell out of Iowa in Beaver Stadium. It was what yeah, right. one of the best environments that I've ever seen in that place. It was a great game. Penn State just comprehensively destroyed the Hawkeyes. It was great. We're going to talk about the game on this edition of the podcast. We're going to look to the future a little bit, talk about Penn State's bowl prospects, and then we may have some fun. Nick, get the horn ready because we're going to give you all a bit of a Perduzzi update. <laughs> You got the train ready? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Three, two, one. There we go. As beautiful as ever. Uh, But yeah, Nick and I can't do this alone, so we decided to go out and get ourselves a guest on this edition of the podcast. We decided to get someone who is kind of at their wit's end because they're in law school, but they're only one L, so the worst is yet to come. Ladies and gentlemen, Roar Lions, Roar staff member, Noel Purcell. Noel, what's happening, buddy? Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, yeah, this is what I guess will probably be... This is the most work I've gotten a chance to do for RLR in any week so far since we started, so this is nice. And after this, I will go back to the unending torture that is the first year of law school. <laughs> sounds like a good time. Sounds like you mm-hmm. Sounds like you made the right decision when you ignored everyone who said, Noel, don't go to law school. Yeah, I... You know, I take all the advice I get and I synthesize it and then I make a coherent and correct decision uh, to do a thing that everybody hates and regrets. And <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of regrets, uh, yeah, the Hawkeyes are probably going to regret that they had to play Penn State last night because Penn State, it, it was bad, man. Like We talk on this podcast about how there are times when you know, maybe we don't feel too comfortable with Penn State's lead, but at no point did I feel like Penn State was going to give that one up. Again, the BJC was just, not the BJ. well, the BJC will be on fire for basketball season, but Beaver Stadium was just on <laughs> fire, uh, and that was despite, uh, yeah, that was despite, you know, it was a cold night, it was uh, some people, it looked like some students had some trouble getting in, uh, the sections of other student section didn't exactly get filled out, but after Saquon Barkley's one super long touchdown run, I actually felt like the ground under me like bending because so many people were just jumping up and down. It was ridiculous. I've never seen anything like that. But yes, forty-one to four. I, I saw a bunch of tweets from people in the press box too, talking about how um, how much the press box is shaking as well. That's ins- well, and it makes sense. Like it, it was a packed house. It was a night game, and Penn State had people had a lot of reasons to cheer. Uh, Penn State trades McSorley uh, 240 yards for the air, two touchdowns on the ground. The Nittany Lions 359 total yards and three scores with Saquon Barkley leading the way with 160 yards rushing. Uh, the defense was just smothering. Uh, we'll talk about them certainly. Miles Sanders he opened the game with a 48-yard kickoff return and he just looked he he looked, he is so close. He is so close. It is maddening. One of these days he's going to get one. But yeah, like. Nick, trying to figure out, like, pin down the one or two things that went right, sometimes it could be a little bit tough, but when we look back on this game and go, what went right, it seems to me like there are almost infinite answers. Yeah, so kind of along those lines before I give my answer, I've, I've been trying to put together an article for tomorrow um, entitled The Five Most Eye-Popping Statistics from Penn State's Win Over Iowa, and I've had a lot of trouble doing it because every single stat his eye popping like there's there's nothing about this game that wasn't uh, like incredible uh but for me the thing like 
if I had to pick out the main things that went right, uh, it's kind of going to go back to what, what I said in the preview show when I said that if Penn State is going to win this game, then it's going to mean that they are running the ball effectively and they're stopping the run effectively, which has been the big change in this team since halftime of the Minnesota game. Like They've been able to finally get Saquon going on the ground, and they've been stopping opposing ball carries. That's been the single biggest change in this team since that time, and they continue doing that. I mean, like you said, Saquon ended up with... Uh, ended up passing 1,000 yards in the season, ended up passing 2,000 on his career, 167 on the night. Tommy Stevens had 70 yards rushing, including <laughs> one beautiful jet sweep that we will talk about <laughs> in great detail, both here and on the site. Uh, McSorley had 40 yards rushing. Sanders at 34 yards rushing. Mark Allen at 30 yards. Andre Robinson at 18 yards. Like the, the Penn State rushing attack has been unbelievable the last four and a half games now. Um and then, yeah, like you said, holding Iowa, and this is including sack yardage, but holding them to 30 total yards is pretty crazy. It's the second time, or it's back. This is now back to back games they've held uh, their opponents under 50 yards rushing, which um, is never done that the first Big time that's ever happened in, in, in Big Ten. In Big Ten, boy, yeah. 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 So that's, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, yeah. Noel, uh, same question to you. Yeah. Like, what thing? Uh, if you want to say the run game, go ahead. If there's anything that you want to say outside of the run game, go ahead. Just what went right more so than anything else? I mean, it's like you said. It's hard to pinpoint just one thing when everything seemingly goes right. But just the the level of execution overall on the offense was it i mean we've we've seen this offense be high powered plenty obviously and it's it's a beautiful thing to watch coach tuddies go at it oh yes um but just seemingly everything they tried yesterday it worked it was unbelievable every single every single idea every single like gimmick i mean like the jet sweep is a perfect example of that like in what universe is that play supposed to be that successful? I, I mean, clearly they didn't. They probably didn't even think Tommy Stevens was going to take that bowl over three people, crush Desmond King into the nether, and take it in for a touchdown because he's a monster. But just the the total offensive execution of what is a high powered, fast attack, um, and the complete just utter dismantling of everything Iowa holds dear. <laughs> it, like, I just, I'm, I'm like trying to pinpoint individual parts of it, but everyone played great. I think, uh, and I, I'll keep going back to it whenever I talk to people about Penn State in general, the line play being so vital to it, yeah. giving time for those plays to develop, even with the loss of Brendan Mann, and even with, do you say Mahone or Mann? It's man, according according to the I, uh, pronunciation <laughs> guide. It's Brandon Man. All right, I always said man. I had a friend in high school with the same name who spelled it the same way, and then somebody at the bar told me I was wrong. Um, I think but I anyway. think I instinctively say man, yeah. but I think the official pronunciation is man. Well. So we'll go with man, and it's, uh, I mean, he's obviously, we, we've talked about his development this year, and but really the whole line in general, just working as a cohesive unit, it's, it's one thing that, obviously, Saquon Barkley is one of the 10 best players in college football, yeah. and anytime you have a player that talented, he's going to make your line look good, but just what they're opening up for him, what they're they're giving opportunities for Trace McSorley to do. They're giving time for plays to develop. They're just so, so markedly improved under Lime Grover. And I want to give them an extra shout-out, too, because if we're going to talk about the running game, you can't talk about it without talking about the guys in the trenches. Yeah, uh, I forget what it what was exactly. I'm Googling it right now to try and figure out, but... There's a just one of the many national like uh, assistant coach of the week awards. One of the websites that did that, Matt Limegrover was a semifinalist for that this week. Like what he has done along Penn State's offensive line. I mean, we've talked about the divorce from Herb Hand. Um, mm-hmm. How I mean, currently Hand is at Auburn. Auburn is one of the best offensive lines in America. He's doing really well. Yeah. Limegrover's come here. 
Lime Grover's doing really well. So that's, I mean, it's worked out for both sides. But to see where Penn State's offensive line was last year and where it is now, night and day doesn't even begin to describe it. And they pushed around Mm -hmm. Iowa, which Iowa prides itself on physicality. Iowa prides itself on winning in the trenches. And even with Penn State's best offensive lineman out, Penn State was just still able to do that and still dominate the line of scrimmage and hang 41 points on a defense that, coming into this game, 29th in S&P, defensive S&P Plus, uh, was 16th nationally in allowing just under 19 points per game. Iowa pr- had not allowed 40 points in a game prior to this, so it was just it, it was Penn State putting on a show, <coughs> uh, excuse me, up front and letting Saquon Barkley especially just really cook. But McSorley had so much time to throw last night. Yeah. I can't remember a game during the James Franklin era, and I maybe probably even going back to O'Brien's first year here, that was probably the last time that the offensive line gave the quarterback enough time to just stand in there, let a play develop, find one of his dudes, and just fire a bullet into somebody. And McSorley took advantage of that last night, and that's especially impressive when you remember that. Um, <laughs> Iowa has one of the best defensive backs in college football and Desmond King, and uh, Saeed Black and all and Tommy Stevens both took their turns making him look like a child, So, which is the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, for, I mean, where we're going down, we next up, thing you liked the most in this game. For me, it was that. It was the fact that Penn State... We saw a team that played without fear, and in no place was that more evident than when they just kept going towards Desmond King on stuff. And even if it didn't always work, like you're still not going at a dude if you're afraid of him. Like Teams game plan around not throwing towards Jordan Lewis when they go against uh, Michigan, or teams game plan against not running towards Jonathan Allen when they're playing uh, Alabama. Teams usually game plan against not going anywhere near Desmond King. Penn State's first touchdown drive was throwing it to Saeed Blacknall, who got past King, and was just standing there in the back of the end zone. So watching Penn State just play without fear on both sides of the ball, to me that was awesome. And we again, that showed up in the box score when you see how Penn State just completely outgained and outscored the Hawkeyes. And Noel, I want to go to you. Uh, your favorite single thing from this game? Hmm. I think favorite single thing, the Saquon on the wheel route. I really love getting getting him involved in the passing game more. It was obviously, you know, turned around right in the bread basket and took it 44 yards for a touchdown. And it was his only catch. But just seeing that creativity level and seeing get just the philosophy of get the ball into the hands of your best player. Um, not that it was even necessary at that point in time, but I love if Saquon Barkley split out wide. Yeah, I mean that make I I don't know how you complain about that. One thing we've heard coming into this year was uh, we want to get the ball into Saquon's hands in one on ones and in positions where if he's able to make a play on a guy, which more often than not he's going for a big gain and maybe even a long touchdown. And we saw that for sure on that wheel route when he just gets in behind someone. And then there's no one, and McSorley just throws a pass, drops it right in, and he takes off. Uh, Nick, same question to you. Yeah, so for me, it's the fact that Penn State actually put up more points in the first half than the second half. Um, we, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, at this point, Penn State has proven to be a pretty good team in really all quarters, at all phases of the game for the most part. But they have also decidedly been a second half team which i mean is fine for the most part against teams like purdue and it'll be fine for Rutgers and things like that but against teams like iowa and coming up with indiana here it's i mean you want to get off to a better start you don't want to have to leave it all for the second half and to the the fact that they were able to show that hey we can come out flying and start start fast and get an early lead that just makes this offense all the more dangerous because then that's that's all the more time that you get to devote to just giving Saquon the ball and letting him do whatever he wants with it so the fact that they were able to come out and put up uh, 24 points in the first half uh, is probably the thing that I liked the most 
Yeah, I'm looking at uh, the S&P Plus numbers right now, and Penn State's uh, S&P Plus on offense by quarter, uh, 34 in the first quarter, 48 in the second quarter, 5 in the third quarter, 12 in the fourth quarter. So Penn State's really good at wearing teams down over the first half, making adjustments at halftime, and then piling it on. And we saw Penn State do that in this game. They wore Iowa out in the first half, made some adjustments, and piled on to the second half. But it also took advantage of situations it was in in the first half. And really outside of a Tyler Davis kick getting blocked, I can't remember all that much going Oof. wrong over the first 30 minutes of football. So That was that was a bad, bad kick, though. Yeah, that was... Yeah. You're, I don't remember what... It was a... Uh, I want to it say was his so senior, low. His senior year, Ficken had a few like that where he didn't get enough under them, and the those were the only times Ficken would miss. Uh, I remember he missed one against Rutgers because the trajectory of the ball it was going on like a twenty degree angle, and some Rutgers defensive lineman was just like, "Yeah, I'll block this. I don't care." But yeah, and it it was it was that one guy on Rutgers who had like five block kicks that year too. Yeah, so whoever it was, I think it's. Pro- Part of that's probably a result of the fact that Tyler Davis really doesn't kick the ball that much. Like, yeah. I, yeah. He, has, he has a really good percentage overall, but he really doesn't get that many opportunities. Because, I mean, he had the same exact kick however many minutes later, and it was perfect. It was high. It was, yeah. yeah so, yeah. Yeah. No, no, you can complain about that too much. Uh, I yeah. have other negatives, though. Yeah, I was going to say, like... Uh, like, what negatives can you take away from this game, if anything, Nick? Stupid, stupid, stupid penalties. Penalties, yep. And I know um, there was, I think it was a roughing the passer call, or not roughing the passer, it was an unnecessary roughness call where the guy was still clearly in bounds, yeah. so that one, that, was yeah, that, one, that one's fine. Yeah, yeah, but things like, uh, there were still just, I mean, the face mask. I don't understand why the face mask penalties keep happening. And I know on Schwann's, I don't think he actually pulled the face mask. It seemed like he let go before actually did anything. But still, like you're, you really have no business with your arms going up anywhere near your dude's helmet. Like it's not, you're not getting anything. You're just putting yourself in a position to make a mistake. So, uh, I mean, nine total penalties for 86 yards is not good. And against, I was gonna say which which counterpoint counterpoint. Iowa received more yards off of Penn State penalties than it did in the running game. So it did. <laughs> yeah, but um, like it. That's fine for a game like this. But again, for Indiana next week, and I know that Indiana's kind of become a little confusing about whether or not they're actually any good. Uh, but they're, they're it, not necessarily good, but they're a flaming tornado of death. Yeah, <laughs> they're just they're they're a chaos team. They're always chaos. yeah. So against a team like India, I mean, nine penalties for 86 yards, that could end up really hurting you, especially on the road in a noon start time after a night game. So, yeah, penalties are disappointing for me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Noel, same to you. Uh, Honestly, it's hard to pick anything other than penalties that I was particularly upset about. Um, That was the one I really wanted to key in on. I know this is a team that, you know, Clearly, a young team. We've discussed it feeds off the energy uh, of the not just the game flow, but of the crowd and everything else. They get hyped up for big games, but at the same time, there needs to be more of a level of maturity to get away from those stupid penalties. And it'll come. Obviously, the team is incredibly young. Um, other than that, I honestly don't have. Maybe uh, the only other thing I'll say really is. Still some issues wrapping up, especially tackles in the backfield. Yeah. Um, where there are a lot of like half arm tackles. I know I was I was watching a game with uh former Onward State managing editor and noted Bostonian Dan McCool. <laughs> and um every time it happened, he was just like, just wrap up, just wrap up every time. And that was that that would probably be my only other real issue. Uh, is just giving up free extra yards after that, but obviously, you know, we we only gave up what two hundred thirty-four total yards, so it's not exactly uh, a nightmare, but it's something that certainly should be worked on, especially like you said against 
tougher opponents, opponents, you know, you can't give free yards to good offenses. Yeah. And Indiana next week, that'll certainly be a point. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, Indiana, their offense is, you know, it's going to be a top, yeah. it's, a, it's a top 40 S&P plus offense. Rutgers doesn't yeah. believe in offense, and Michigan State, mm-hmm. um, I'm very glad I, I was able to um, get a ham-fisted reference to this quote into the podcast, but uh, after Michigan State uh, played and lost to uh, Illinois, was it, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, if they played and lost to Illinois, uh, one, Mark D'Antonio said, we have Rutgers next, another tough game based on how things have gone. So, um, yeah, they don't like offense is the point. Or defensively, <laughs> they're just not a good football team. Michigan State could Michigan State could really use some quarterback play from a guy that played at a school just a little bit east of where uh, East Lansing was. Fellow fellow named Rob Bolden. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say no, Shane Moore. Nick, he's a wide receiver. Well, that depends on what school he's at. <laughs> uh, let me see. Oh, Michigan State. Rob, was, Michigan Rob State, Bolden, noted uh, noted Penn State, Eastern Michigan, and LSU alum. Yes. Uh, Michigan State uh, in S&P Plus, uh, last week they were, uh, let's see, where did they go? I lost them. They were 73rd last week. They're 79th this week. They're dangerously close to falling out of the top 80. Uh, and just for reference, one more thing. Uh, oh, Notre Dame is 47. Okay. Uh, so, well, actually, no, they're some, three. They're, something they're actually Bill three, C. They're actually three and six, but. <laughs> something something Bill C should add. There should be a way to see, and there might maybe there is, and I don't know where it is, but see a team's, like, progression all year, like how they're, S&P standing changes each week. Yeah. That'd be interesting. That would be. Penn State's would have just gone way up, and then I know coming into this year his numbers were rather high on Michigan State, so they were just uh, – there's a tornado of death, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Let's actually end recapping this game uh, by talking about, just because there are so many things to pick from, our favorite play from this one. Uh, Nick, I'll let you go first because – my hope is I have something very different from the rest of you, but you never know. That's right. Can we? I I'd, I'd like the opportunity to maybe give two if my other one yeah, doesn't get ahead. said. But I'll start with uh, Jason Kabinda's jump over the line of scrimmage to stop oh. CJ Beathard from converting, and it it wasn't it wasn't my favorite play because it was a great play because it was a great play, like it was, it was a fantastic play, like great instincts by Kabinda to recognize what was happening. But it was my favorite play because C.J. Beathard's body language when he landed back on the ground <laughs> was so funny. Like he yeah. he literally landed like he had just like teleported to another dimension and just like was in the middle of like a crowd of like aliens. Like it looked like he had no idea where he was and he had no idea what to do. And I was could not stop laughing. And the the amazing thing about that is, I I mean like C.J. Beathard, he's not you know like this tall hulking person, but he's not a tiny dude. Like he's six, two and about 210 pounds. And he's very like well built. So for him to just be knocked backwards like that in the way that Jason Cabinda did is ridiculous. That is one instance where having a club on a hand is really, really helpful. I don't, did he even use the club hand at all? Or did he just go for I it? I think he, I think he used, I don't. I don't know. I need to watch it. I'll pull it up while yeah, you guys I'll are. I'm pulling it up right now. But you, you, you give your other answer right now. Uh, well, my other answer was going to be uh, Tommy Stevens touchdown <laughs> because <laughs> Team Tommy. It was it was the most amazing thing that I've ever seen on an offense ever do. Like, ser- like, just consider like take out the names and just consider like the situation. A the starting quarterback takes a snap. Backup quarterback who is lined up in the slot runs a jet sweep, takes a handoff while the team's fourth receiver blocks off potentially the best cornerback in the country, allowing said backup quarterback to bowl over four other Iowa Hawkeye defenders and route to the end zone. Like that's the most that's like a mad lib. Like that's the most ridiculous thing. And it was so awesome. Like that was such like a cool play and something that I hope we get to keep seeing because the possibilities yeah. of what they can do from that formation like if you watch if you watch the play again 
DeAndre Tompkins is waiting on the sideline. He, like he's he's keeping himself open for Stevens if he wants to pass it off instead. So like if a team if they run this again next week and a team just goes to stop the run, he could just flip it to a dude on the outside. Jesus Christ! I'm watching it again and I'm still in awe of how he what? got in the end zone. Oh, oh but uh, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, it's it's just such a, and I, I'm sure that this is not the first time such a formation has been run. But that's such a cool, like, innovative idea. Like, it, that, that's that's why Joe Moorhead is so awesome. Yeah. The thing that you know whose idea that was first, John Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the oh, god damn it, Noel. The only thing that worries me about that play and how they ran it is throwing out of it. I imagine it would be pretty tough because you know Stevens is a right-handed dude, so. For him to take that pitch and then run to the left side of the field, like for him to throw it, he then has to like turn his body, square himself up, and then throw it like on the run. So I can well, I don't think the tough, idea. But... I don't think the idea is to throw down the field. Like Tompkins is there waiting for like a pitch back. It's not not for a pass per se. I okay. mean, I okay, well, I, that's fair. I'm I'm sure I'm sure they could. I mean, they could absolutely flip it, and he'd be yeah in perfect position to throw. I mean, that'd be cool too. Yeah. But yeah, I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching the Kabinda play again, and you kind of summed up perfectly, Nick. He looks like, like in a Disney movie or something, when someone like teleports to another place and they land and they try and be like super like, what's the word I'm looking? They're like really exaggerating the fact that they just went from one place to another, so they like flail their arms around and pretend to get jelly. You know what I compared it to? What? <laughs> in in Space Jam, when Michael Jordan first yes. ends up in Looney Tune yes. Land and he's sitting on the chair, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the face. Yeah, like that's perfect. Yeah, and like all credit in the world to Kabinda because that you don't. He, do he that. definitely uses the club, by the way. Yeah, but you don't mm-hmm. do that play. You don't attack it that way unless you haven't scouted it out perfectly, and you didn't know that on a situation like this. Bethard's thing isn't, you know, get behind your offensive lineman and just plow forward. It's try and go over the top and try and jump for that one yard. So shout out to Jason Cabinda and Brent Pry and whoever else because my guess is in film study this week, someone pointed that out and they went, yeah, so let's take advantage of that. Uh, Noel, let's get that question uh, over to you. Uh, So we're saying favorite individual play? Yes, sir. Um, Saquon's touchdown in the second quarter. Um, I, other than the jet sweep, which I could literally just talk about forever. Um, <laughs> but if we're going to talk about another one, Saquon's the 57 yard touchdown run is just an absolute thing of beauty. Watching, just watching him go to work is a privilege every single weekend. You see, I mean, he take he takes a semi sweep and just blows by every single person on the field. It's not like he had a ton of downfield blocking or anything. He actually outran his blocker um, on whoever was blocking Desmond King um, downfield. Charles. Yeah, it was Irvin Charles. Oh, right? oh no. Yeah. Oh, Desmond King. No, it was DeAndre was yeah, blocking, it was DeAndre. actually. Was, it was – yeah. And, yeah, he out – like, Irvin Charles was, like, behind him trying to get in to block somebody, but he didn't even get the opportunity because Saquon then proceeded to take his hand and stick it in Desmond Charles's existence and rip his soul out as he marched into the end zone. And it was just – it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch him. Like, he had been threatening to pop off at that point in time. You give him just that little bit of space – he beats the entire Iowa defense on the left side of the field, kind of zigzags up and down, and boom, he's in. And it was, it's just, it's one of those, one of those runs that you could show to somebody, and they're like, "So, what is the Saquon Barkley guy all about?" It's like, well, here is all of the speed and agility and strength that he has. Yeah, here, yeah. I mean, that was the play that when uh, after he scored the touchdown. So my seats, uh, Noel and I. Noel hasn't been able to make it back to any games, but he and I were we're seated we're seated in the same section, uh, NCU, so the far end zone from the student section and up. And mm-hmm. again, it was just so raucous after he scored that like I could feel the cement under me like 
bouncing up and down. Like I was leaning over to my f- friends that I was with and just going, guys, like this is ridiculous. Like not only because like, you know, it's kind of terrifying when that happens, but for Penn State football to be at a place where it has guys who can bring out that kind of reaction and the team is so exciting that people are coming out in numbers and with the enthusiasm to react that way to a touchdown, awesome, 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 awesome. Also, awesome is that Bar- is that Barkley's best run? It might be. I think it is. It's because it's like up there. the <laughs> Purdue sure. run, the Purdue one was great, but those dudes had given up like by the time he got to the thirty yard line. Like he against like another team, he probably gets tackled on that eighty one yard run or whatever it was. Yeah. But this one, like they 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 didn't give up. Yeah. Like they're going full bore on the entire time. And he just yeah. outran them and outjuked them and everything. His game And then took and took Desmond King with him as yeah. he ran through into the end zone. Like his yeah. his game winner against Minnesota. Yeah. For me, because that was one he got out of that like he was like trapped in a triangle of defenders and he juked through it. And he just ended up taking off like up for the end zone and like that just shows off agility that is out of this world. And then also, if I remember correctly, he had a, he broke one against Temple where he realized that someone was behind that, him trying to tackle him. The by, one that put the game out of reach. Yeah. yeah. And he realized yeah. that they were about to tackle him, I think because he was looking up at the Jumbotron watching his run. No, but he yeah. wasn't. You can see it. He wasn't. He might have That's just been, the crazy like, thing. His eyes up. Like he didn't I don't think like, he, he just really doesn't look like he was. That's yeah. the craziest part of that run. Yeah. So yeah, like just turns I, on I, another gear. He has that like that extra gear he can put on to burn everybody at the very end of it, where his top line speed is already elite. It's it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I was gonna say this is the like that run is the fastest he's ever looked to me. This run against mm-hmm. Iowa. Like, against yeah, Iowa. like he like he he's ob- obviously he's a fast dude, but he's not like. He's. I wouldn't say that he's one of the like the fastest kids in college football. Like he, no. like he, he'll get run down. Like he got run down against the reason he didn't score against Ohio State last year when he put up the 194 yards is because he got caught down from behind a few times. And so, like this is this was the first run where I ever where I ever watched him run, and I was like, holy crap, he's fast. Yeah. Like that. That was like the. This is like the first time that watching him. That like his speed has really stood out in my opinion. Yeah, for me, the play that's there are two plays that stuck out the most, but they were the they were basically the same thing. Um, Iowa was on offense, and they were in just like their normal eye formation. And Brandon Bell goes up to his defensive tackles, <laughs> smacks yes. both of them on like the left ass cheeks. Everyone shifts over to the left. All the linebackers go over to the left. And then Iowa runs like a stretch run play to the left, and everyone's just in the backfield already blowing it up. And to me that shows, well, three things. One, Brandon Bell and and Jason Cabinda. Because Cabinda, he didn't have anything that obvious, but he did have moments where he was able to read something before it happened. They knew what was happening. Their instincts and their ability to read a play before the snap happens are outstanding. Two, the film study that went into preparing for Iowa's offense was unreal. And three, and really the most important thing to me, is that, and this may be something that I write about this week, I'm not 100% sure, but when Penn State and Iowa, uh, when they've played in the past, they were always just these really close, uh, gross, close, low-scoring games I mean, I'm going back and I'm looking at the all times, and it's stuff like, you know, Penn State 13 to three, or Iowa 21 to 10, or 24 23, or six to four, and stuff like that. Iowa has played the exact same style of football forever, and it shows a lot about how far <laughs> Penn State has come, especially on the offensive side of the ball. That his last two games against Iowa have been 38-14 and 41-14. And that was put on display on really those plays because they just knew what Iowa was going to do because Iowa's done the exact same thing since the moment Kirk Ferentz was hired. So that was awesome. And we'll continue doing so until 2026. Oh, come on. I'm sure some Iowa booster has $25 million. <laughs> 
but yeah, like it was. There's just... a lot of corn subsidies out there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was just a really fun game. Like it was just everything coming together right for Penn State, and you know, today we were looking at the polls. Uh, new polls were coming out. Penn State is in the AP poll and in the coaches' coaches. poll. Yeah, they're just jumping up in all of these. Yeah, like you said, 14 and 12. They're going to probably be a top 10 thing with the playoff team when the playoff poll comes out on Tuesday. Uh, And we look at things like bowl projections now, and instead of thinking like maybe Penn State goes to, to Nashville or the Capital One Bowl or something like that, uh, one had Penn State against Louisville in the Orange Bowl. Another had Penn State against San Diego State in the Cotton Bowl. Like Penn State's now being considered for the, the New Year's Six Bowls, which is ridiculous yeah. to me. And Nick, how far do you think this team can realistically end up going? And when you look at a potential bowl, would you like rather see Penn State play against, you know, Penn State against maybe a, a West Virginia or a Virginia Tech or a Florida State in a kind of in that second tier of bowls? Or do you want to get a Louisville? Do you want to get a Western Michigan or a Texas A&M in a New Year's Six Bowl? So for how far I think this team can go, I don't think the question at this point is really how far we think they can go. It's really more dependent on what the gut teams in front of them do uh, because I mean, Penn State's schedule the rest of the year really is not very daunting. I mean, Indiana this week should be weird and difficult, but after that, it's Rutgers and Michigan State. And I know everyone on the back of their mind is still kind of nervous about Michigan State, but they're really bad, and you probably shouldn't be. As for me personally, I mean, for me, number one goal is to not play Washington State because that would hurt my heart. (laughs) But number two, I mean... If they can, if they're good enough to be in a New Year's Six bowl game, I want them to be in a New Year's Six bowl game. Not only just because that will, I mean, I want to kind. I mean, it might not be pretty if they go up against a guy like Lamar Jackson, but I kind of want to see it happen. I mean, I'd be interested to find out what Penn State's defense would be able to do against him. And I mean, there'd probably be like three thousand points scored in that game, so that'd be fun. Then, I mean, or against a team like maybe an at-large bid against, like, Western Michigan. Like, that could be fun. So, I think that if, I mean, if a New Year's Six game, if a New Year's Six bowl is on the table, that's that's where I would want to be. Because you're also getting experience, again, for this, what is a very young team, that almost the entirety of it will return next year. They'll have a taste of what being in one of the elite bowl games is like. And I think that'll just help them make help make them all the more hungry next year when they could even be a dark horse playoff team. Yeah, I mean, I think we all agree that if Penn State's able to win out and make it to a bowl game and not even look not even win, but just look good, a top ten preseason is somewhat on the table. Like just a lot of really good things coming through the pipeline potentially. I'm in the camp of I kind of don't want to go to one of those bigger bowl games, um, mostly because I don't know if I'd be able to sleep for like the two, three weeks leading up to it. And I really just don't want to play against Lamar Jackson. But the fact that we're even having this conversation, I think, is the thing that's so cool. I I would love, love, love to get one of those like Penn State-Florida State matchups or Penn State against just some other really good ACC team that isn't Louisville or uh, Clemson. Just because, <laughs> like, one, those teams are really good, and two, I just want to see, like, Penn State, Florida State. Uh, Noel, what about yourself? Uh, my heart of hearts and Big Ten traditionalism wants to go to the Rose Bowl more than anything in the world. Yes. Um, I, I want to go to the Rose Bowl. I've always wanted to go. Never gotten an opportunity to. It would be an incredible experience for a young team. If anything's going to motivate you to want to play on the biggest stage possible, as though they even need it, going and playing in Pasadena for the Rose Bowl on January 2nd would be the one. So undoubtedly, that's where I want the team to be. I don't care who we're playing. 
Um, but that's the game that I want. If we're talking matchups we want to see, um, grudge match against Herb Han with Auburn would be fun. <laughs> um, um, maybe... Maybe against maybe, Bob Shoop in Tennessee? Oh, yeah. Wait. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, um, Nick, we're not going to any bowl sponsored by Advocare. <laughs> Hey, the, the poinsettia bowl looks like beautiful this time of year. Um, but like maybe, maybe like a Colorado would be fun. Cause it's both kind of comeback stories. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I don't really have, I, I'd really, really like to play Western Michigan, honestly. Oh, um, yes, just, just, well, like, as much as I love and admire PJ Fleck, I also want to crush a directional Michigan into the ground <laughs> um, in a nationally televised game. So that'd be fun. But my, I, w- I want to play in the Rose Bowl. I don't care who it's against. Um, it could be the 05 Texas Longhorns for all I care, but I want to play in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, the path to that, to the Rose Bowl, would probably be if I had to guess, like Michigan wins out, mm-hmm. Penn State wins out, Michigan really, really handles Ohio State, and then Michigan just crushes Wisconsin in the conference title game, or Wisconsin drops another one, and then like, yeah, I was gonna say chaos, chaos in the West, yeah, and Michigan trounces Ohio State, and then, I mean, we'd probably have it, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it's so. Oh man, we're talking about the Rose Bowl as an attainable thing. That is so great. My girlfriend, like two months ago, was like, because we were talking about like going to a bowl game or whatever. She's like, well, maybe we'll go to the Rose Bowl, and I just laughed at her. And now I'm talking <laughs> about it on the podcast. So <laughs> uh, this is what a what a college football is so fun, guys. It is. You know what else is fun? Actually, no, not the NFL. Not the NFL. Mm-hmm. Also fun in college football is going around and just talking about stuff that happened. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, the biggest thing that happened this weekend, Nick, get the uh, get the thing ready. We're about to do this. Mm-hmm. The thing that was most fun was the fact uh, that Miami beat Pitt fifty-one to twenty-eight. Which, if we need another reason for this to happen. It's that people at the University of Pittsburgh are going to start being really unhappy with uh, the Nard Dog and are going to want to <laughs> maybe push him out, maybe send him somewhere else. And then Purdue is just going to be willing to pay him whatever he wants. Purdue, of course, lost 44-31 to to Minnesota in a game that was very silly and very entertaining. David Blau looks like he – we saw flashes of it last week, but he may not be too bad of a quarterback. Um Definitely seems like somebody will, that Narduzzi would like to coach. Yes. He will make an excellent, excellent LSU quarterback in a few years. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a, that, that's a fun thing to talk about. LSU uh, went down to Alabama. I didn't get a chance to watch a second of this game because I was too busy in, uh, in Beaver Stadium. But uh, from what I heard, Nick, um, you probably watched more of it than I did if you watched a single second of it. But... It was just like the ugliest, worst football game that you will ever watch. Yeah, I purposely didn't watch it, actually. I didn't want to. Yeah, I watched the last four minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wrote... So uh, I do, like, Up Rocks' college football watch guide every week, and I wrote a bunch of words about how this game is... It, it's so big for Leonard Fournette because this is an opportunity to really conquer the one thing that he has never been able to conquer and that's Alabama and he went out and rushed mm-hmm. for 17 17 carries and 35 yards so Alabama is terrifying looking around Clemson won by a lot I was um, I pondered on the last podcast whether uh, Harbaugh would take it easy on DJ Durkin nope <laughs> I told you you told me uh, Washington's really good Ohio State's really good Louisville's really good um Vanderbilt almost beat Auburn. Uh, yeah. Baylor got the asses kicked by TCU, mm-hmm. which I missed that one. That So that's a fun thing to catch up on. Uh, and Washington State hung 69 on Arizona. It was a nice game. 
I can tell. You know what? You know what else is nice? Penn State's uh, average yards per rush against Iowa was it six point nine. Six point nice. nine. Yeah, Chad, Ke- Chad Kelly's out for the year. That kind of sucks. Uh, yeah, Nick, is there anything else? Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Um. Well, actually, I was. Um, oh, as we we're talking. Wait, about- I forgot. We could talk about Notre Doozy also because Notre Dame. Uh, is three and six and lost to Navy twenty eight to twenty seven. So Nick, do we have a potential yes. noise for Notre Doozy? Can you think of anything? Uh, let, let me let me think while I share this one thing okay. real quick. What's the I sound of a through. glass window crashing and breaking <laughs> in Indiana? Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's entrance theme. <laughs> I was look I was looking through uh, Kegs and Eggs's uh, uh, timeline just for any Penn State per, Penn State Iowa things and. Uh, ben Jones tweeted a gif at him where it's there's looks like 12-15 to go in the third quarter on a first down run. Uh, Barkley takes it, cuts up the middle, and to actually jump the imaginary yellow line for a first down, he is backwards and he hurdles a defender diving at him backwards and lands on his feet and then gets four more yards. Oh, the Early on in the game, when he tried to hurdle that dude, and (laughs) he ended up doing a front flip and landing on his back, I just remember, like, gasping and being terrified, and he just gets up like, yeah, what's up, guys? That didn't hurt me at all, because I'm not human. Yeah, you will see, that that was, like, the most picturesque thing, one of the most picturesque things he's done, like, we'll have, like, it... The thing that bothers it, like it wasn't Iowa defender didn't even do anything to actually stop him. Barkley's foot just clipped the dude's helmet, and that's what sent him hurtling into the atmosphere. But it was almost a super super cool cool hurdle. But yeah, so did you? Did everyone? Did you guys both get a chance to read the Cardiac Hill post uh, with all the yes. different? Yeah. So all the if you haven't read this, so Cardiac Hill is the uh, SB Nation pit blog, and in the wake oh, of Purdue. In the wake of Purdue, they posted um, an article listing every Power 5 team and what their potential Narduzzi hashtag would be. And I think I think my personal favorite was the Washington State one. It was a uh, Wazuzuzi. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so uh, it's I'm glad that Cardiac Hill at least is having fun with it because yeah. the Pitt mainstream media members clearly are not. Oh, God. Yeah, they when Pat Narduzzi was asked about it, he had more fun answering that question because like, and all credit to Pat Narduzzi on this one. He realizes how ridiculous this is, and the fact that it's just a joke. And like, shout out to him for realizing this because so many people in the pit media were reacting like a bunch of Penn State people were saying we should like collectively go and burn the University of Pittsburgh to the ground while people are standing on campus. Like, it was just absurd. But, yeah, shout-out to Narduzzi. Um, there was some... Oh, of course, the last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, have you... And, Noel, we'll start with you. Have you ever seen a better video than the Mannequin Challenge video that Amani <laughs> Oruwariye decided to tweet out after the game? Uh, no, there... Okay. That's because there isn't a better video. <laughs> Um, yes. For those if there was, I would have seen it. Yeah. For those of you who are unaware, um, Noel and I are both very big fans of Ray Schremmerd, the act that sings the song Black Beatles, which is the song that everyone dances to in that video. And it was just a colliding of the two best and most pure things on this planet. And it was outstanding. And we did a post on what made it so good. And I will be sure to drop it in here. And if I realized how to do this properly in GarageBand, which I probably won't, the theme song to this episode of the podcast is going to be Black Beatles. But, uh, yeah, Nick, same question to you. Have you ever seen a video that was better than this one? I would say yes if it wasn't for Nick Scott. Because <laughs> Nick Scott being on, I don't know whose shoulders he was on, Manny but... <laughs> But his pose on Manny Bowen's shoulders, I don't think, like, I, I, I had no idea it was coming, and I was just 
dying laughing the first time I saw it. Like, he's just up there, arm in the air, full, like, mouth wide open, smiling. And it is by far the best part of an outstanding video. Yeah, so, no. The there, thing, is, there is no better video. So many, like, you're supposed to be silly in these, but you're all supposed to be, like, kind of serious and stone-faced because you're a mannequin. And then you just see Man, uh, Manny Bowen holding Nick Scott up, and Nick <laughs> Scott, like, has this gigantic grin on this face. And again, I wrote about this. Uh, excuse me. Uh, there's also the Penn State version of the video that got tweeted out by the football team. Mm-hmm. And they do a close-up on Saeed Blacknall. And the joy <laughs> he gets a half second before the beat drops, because mm-hmm. he, knew he was about to just go crazy, is the, it's so pure and so fun. And this entire year has just been so much fun, and I'm glad that we now know that Ray Schremert's Black Beatles is an important part of what makes this team so good. Uh, I will say this: this has dipl- displaced uh, my previous favorite video, the stunt like my this no the stunt like my daddy uh, music video. So that's now <laughs> number two. If you haven't watched that in however many years, you should go back and watch it because part the very end of the video, Lil Wayne and Birdman are are rolling out of a garage on motorcycles and said garage gets blown up by torpedoes from a helicopter behind them. <laughs> so do yourselves a favor and go back and watch that. Yeah. Uh, I think we should wrap up. I think Rick Ross okay. eating cereal and don't panic is up there too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right, I, I I think that's probably the best uh, best spot to end this episode of the podcast. Uh, Noel, thanks for getting your face out of a law book and join joining us today. Thanks for distracting me from the hell that is my life. Not a problem, uh, Nick. Keep on keeping on. That's what I do. Amen. Yeah, uh, follow us on our social media channels. Uh, subscribe and rate iTunes, SoundCloud. Google Play, buy a shirt, a shirt update, by the way, uh, the whiteout shirts should be going out sometime this week, hopefully you have them by the end of the week, if you do end up getting them, tweet at us, at RLR blog, we'll show you some love on Twitter, uh, yeah, wear the shirts around, enjoy them, give us some hashtag RLR in the wild, uh, post on social media with those shirts, because we always love seeing those. Uh, yeah, one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Noel Purcell, for Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Bernoulli lives.